0: Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys this morning. Um, As we continue in worship, let's turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2, where we'll be for some of our time today. And also, uh, if you want to go ahead and turn to Matthew, chapter uh, 16, uh, and put your finger there, we'll be in Matthew 16 a little bit as well. Uh, So as we continue in worship, let me pray uh, as we open God's word this morning. Father God in heaven, Lord, I thank you for a time to gather as your people, to gather around uh, celebrating the person and work of your son, Jesus. God, we would be fooling ourselves to think that we just showed up here this morning uh, by our own whims. God, we know that you have called us here. You have drawn us here to hear a word from you. So God, I pray that our ears uh, would be eagerly attentive, that our hearts would be uh, anticipating a touch from you. Uh, God, that we would be anticipating the good news to uh, resonate in our minds and in our hearts. Uh, God, that by your Holy Spirit, who inspired this text to be written, uh, our hearts would be awakened to new life. God, that you would bring us to ongoing faith and belief in the gospel, ongoing repentance in light of the gospel, ongoing action in light of the gospel. God, help us see our sin uh, more clearly. Help us understand the good news of Jesus more clearly. God, transform us by your Spirit through your word this morning for your glory and our joy, and that the gospel may go forth in Christ's name. Amen. Acts chapter 2. Where we've been for the past couple weeks. As Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, uh, stands up and and preaches this amazing sermon. Verse 41 says So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's word. Friends, the mission of God is to gather his wayward people and restore them to ultimate joy in him together. This is what Jesus came to do. This is what Jesus accomplishes by his perfect life, his death, his resurrection. By the power of the Holy Spirit, this is uh, that good news being actualized in the lives of people in the first century. Hundreds of years before, as God gathered people, God continued to do in the first century through the preaching of the gospel, and God continues to do today. This is good news for us. It is good news that the God of heaven, that the God who created everything out of nothing would come and rescue his people. That's what he's done for centuries. That's what ultimately he did through his son Jesus. It's what by his Holy Spirit he does for us today. God is rescuing you. God is gathering you to be his people. Have you ever heard good news that changed everything for you? That, that set your life like in a new direction? Maybe it established new relationships, took you to a new location to do new things. I mean, many of you guys are here in Augusta because you heard some good news at some point in time and it brought you here, like the good news of a new job, the good news of a promotion within the company you were working that said, hey, look, here's, here's some good news. And because of that good news, you're gonna go to a new location and there you'll meet new people and you'll do new things. For many of you at school, maybe you heard the good news that you got accepted to the uh, medical university whose name I have no idea what it is right now. Maybe it was good news of uh, acceptance and military service and that brought you to Fort Gordon. What good news have you heard that changed everything for you? Because when you hear good news, it propels you to go somewhere, to do something, to connect with other people. Many of you guys have formed friendships because of good news that you've heard in your job. So you meet friends at work, uh, school friends. You, You meet friends at school that you would not have known had you gone to another school. Many of you maybe have even met a boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse in college and think about what would have happened had you gone to a different school. Likewise, in the first century, as a first century Jew gathered to worship the Lord during a time of Pentecost, a feast of celebration of God's faithfulness to his people, thousands gathered to worship. And in that, the apostle Peter stands up and preaches this amazing sermon to thousands of people who were who were anticipating God's faithful covenant renewal to his people. They were Celebrating God, the God of history, who throughout history had gathered people. And Peter says, this same God is doing that here today through the personal work of Jesus, the proclamation of the good news, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Over the next couple of weeks, as we look in Acts chapter 2, we're going to be talking a lot about the church. There's reasons why. Some of this text may be familiar to you, but we never need tire of hearing the good news and the implications for us. You see, in Acts chapter 2, we see a description of what a, a church is. The word church is ecclesia, it means called out or gathered ones. It's a theme throughout Scripture. The word ecclesia actually can mean not only like gather, but it can mean like a riot. So if you like gather together a riot, that's a church. That's pretty cool. But we see it's a biblical theme throughout Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation of the God of creation rescuing his people, gathering them. We see it in Genesis. We see it in the book of Exodus as God is gathering his people from slavery to take them to a new land, to gather them together, to be his gathered people, his ecclesia, his called-out gathered people. We see it over and over again in the Old Testament as God's people were in exile. Time and time again, God takes his people from being scattered and he gathers them together so that he can be their God, their king, so he could shepherd them. He calls them out. He gathers them together. We see in the first century, this is what Jesus came to do. He sets foot on the human stage and lives a perfect life, dies a death, raises again from the dead, calling people to God, calling people together to be the called out ecclesia, the gathered people of God. As Jesus completes his work on earth Before he ascends to be with God the Father in heaven, he commissions his apostles to proclaim this good news of salvation, that the God of history is calling his people, is gathering his people. And by the Holy Spirit, Peter stands up, proclaims this good news in Acts chapter 2, where we've been for a couple weeks now, as he proclaims the good news from the prophet Joel and proclaims the good news through the book of Psalms and says, all of this Old Testament expectation is here today. Verse 36, let, let the house of Israel know therefore for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. God gathers them together. Verse 41, Those who received the word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. Thousands of people God is gathering and calling together to be his gathered ones, his church. You see, but this good news is not only for first century Jews. This good news is for you and I today. It's for us in this room This is good news that the God of history, the God who rescued people from bondage in Egypt and set them free and took them to the promised land is the same God that comes to rescue you and I today. The same God who gathered his people from the corners of the earth when they were in exile is the same God who is gathering people from all over this city and all over the world today to be his church, to be his gathered people. This is good news and this changes everything for us the church by nature is, is a gathering of people. The church is not a solo thing. It's not being abandoned and left to live life on your own. Likewise, the church is not a building. The church is not an event, but the church is a people. A people. Jesus came to gather God's people, to save them, to call them. We see in Titus 2.14 that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Likewise in Philippians 2.9-11, therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth <clears throat> and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see that the God of history gathers people, calls them out, that through the person and work of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is gathering and calling people together. And likewise, this is a foreshadowing of what's to come. It's a heavenly portrait of where we're going. Gathered people, called out ones, gathered together for God's glory and for our joy. This is good news. And this changes everything. Over the next few minutes, what I want to do is kind of establish a biblical foundation for the church, for the ecclesia, the called out gathered ones of God. Because the church is this broad understanding that all people from all time, that the Lord has gathered from all places is the church, the church universal. But the church is expressed locally And here we are today in this room at the Well Community Church. And in a few weeks, we are making a transition from this location to another location. We're making the transition from this name called the Well to another name, Redemption Church. And so before we do these things quickly, I want us to have a biblical understanding, a foundation of what the church is and why we're doing what we're doing. Because friends, I submit to you, it's a work of God that's going on here. It's a work of God. If we wanted to gather people just for fun, we would show a movie and rent out the Imperial Theater, right? Or we would, you know, get a a cool band to come play, and we could gather people on our own accord in probably cooler ways than right now. But you see, this is not a work of man. This is a work of God, the church, the gathering called out ones of God, of which you are a part. Flip over to Matthew chapter 16. Because as we look in Acts chapter 2, we see, okay, great, we see this great display of the power of the Holy Spirit actualizing the good news on the hearts of people, that that Peter proclaims the personal work of Jesus, as we've seen the past couple weeks in Acts chapter 2, and and that people hear it, repent, they're baptized, thousands of people gather together in Acts 2, 42 through 47, where we'll be for the next four weeks after today, we see a description of what the church looks like but I don't want us to jump to that and say, well, let's do those things because Acts 2, 42 through 47 says they devoted themselves to the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. So let's go down this checklist and as long as we do those things, we're, we're the church, right? Mm. No. The church is, the, is the, an, a work of the Holy Spirit based on the personal work of Jesus. So we need to rewind and flip over to Matthew chapter 16 real quick so that we can get a, a clear understanding of the foundation of the church we good you with me we're gonna move quickly take notes matthew chapter 16 verse 13 as jesus and his disciples are traveling going through caesarea philippi which was which was littered with idols and littered with with statues of other gods statues to caesar who they worshiped as a god This is what happens. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So here you see a moment where Jesus is asking, who do people say that I am? And they recount, uh, some say, you were John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. The disciples are just recounting some of the heroes of the faith that they know about. They're like, well, maybe, you know, some people say this, some people say that. Expectations of God's intervention. But then Jesus directly asks them, who do you say that I am? And Peter, on behalf of the disciples, proclaims, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, on that proclamation is the foundational stone of what a church is. Jesus responds to that statement, "'You are the Christ, the Son of the living God.'" Verse 17, Jesus answered him, "'Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church.'" You see, first and foremost, to understand uh, what the church is, you know, who are we and what are we doing here? We first have to see the identity of the church is built on God's revelation and Christ's foundation. I want us to see that here because my fear, especially in our um, over-churched culture in which we live and and in a North American culture, is that we're going to... uh, I, don't, I want us to have a biblical foundation of the church moving forward. That's all. I don't want us to, to, to fall into whims of, of anything other than a biblical foundation. Okay, so we see that the foundation, the identity of the church, is based on God's revelation and Christ's foundational work. Because you see here in verse 17, Jesus says, I mean, I mean, verse 16, you were the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter's saying, you are are the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God, the son of the living God. You are a divine rescuer, divine hero. Uh, You're not John the Baptist or Jeremiah or one of the prophets or Elijah, any of these guys who God used to foreshadow, you are indeed the Christ, the son of the living God himself. You're not just one other voice saying, God's coming, God will rescue. You are the rescuer incarnate. And then Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, the church's identity is based on the revelation of God himself. It's not a marketing scheme. It's not some cool hip cultural thing. Like I said, we can throw, this church has been involved in throwing parties and concerts bigger than the people that are, I mean, a larger amount of people that are in this room. We sponsored concerts and stuff at the Imperial Theater and we had, you know, 800, 1,000 people there. But God's doing something here because the, the work of the church is God's gathering his people. It's God revealing who he is and what he's done. And Jesus himself says that to Peter. He says, look, this is not something you thought up in your mind, Peter. This is not something that you picked up from your cultural cues. This is something that God in heaven revealed to you. So friends, we must understand moving forward that the identity of the church is God's revelation of himself, revealing who he is and what he's done. It's God's initiative. But it's based on God's revelation and Christ's foundational work. Because you see in verse 18, Jesus not only says, uh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18, I tell you, you were Peter, which, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now that verse has been uh, understood, interpreted different ways over time as the church based on Peter. Is Peter the first pope? But I submit to you that, that Jesus is not saying, look, I'm building my church on you, Peter, but I'm building the church. Your name is Peter. You're the rock, but I'm building the church on, on this rock. The, the Jesus being the cornerstone and the proclamation of Jesus being the Christ, the son of the living God is the foundational stone of the church. You see, Christ is the declaration of Christ's person and work on which the church is built. Apart from that, we're really not a true biblical ecclesia. We are a ecclesia in the sense of a riot, which I think that's so cool. I just, I can't get over there. I read that this week again. I was just like, man, the church, the word church in the Bible could either mean gathered, called out ones of God, or an all-out riot. I just think that's cool. I'm the only one, apparently. I'm thinking like European soccer matches, like this is the church, Ah, you know. And some, I mean, some of us probably would prefer that. So we see the identity of the church is based on God's revelation and the foundational work of the person and work of Jesus Christ. But secondly, we see even in this passage what the mission of the church is. The mission of the church is to proclaim what has been revealed. That's it. We are to proclaim what has been revealed. We proclaim it with our mouths and we proclaim it by displaying it in our actions. Okay, we see here that Jesus says, okay, look, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Interesting phrase there that we can't go over, uh, that we can't gloss over. This has deep religious implications in the first century where uh, religion was hard, the religious leaders made things hard to be, uh, to go through, and, and Jesus is saying to Peter, "Look, the mission of the church is to proclaim and display what've been what, what's been revealed to you by God?" And we see that with this commission, in this, in this statement, I mean, can you just imagine being Peter and Jesus is looking you in the eye and saying, "Look, that thing you just said, you didn't think of that, Peter. I mean, you're smart, but you're not that smart. I mean, that thing you just said, Peter, that was not something you picked up from your cultural context. That's something God revealed to you. Can you imagine being Peter? Wow, God revealed that to me. And Jesus looks him in the eye and says, says, God has revealed this to you. Now I'm going to commission you with this statement. It is your mission. I mean, look at him in the eye. It is your mission to proclaim and display what has been revealed to you. That's what Jesus tells Peter. Now, Peter is is the spokesman of the apostles. He's like kind of the leader of, of the gang. He's the leader of the church riot. And so Peter is taking this commission and saying, it is my job not to rope people in and try to get people together for a cool hangout party. It is not my job to try to convince people of some new and better way of living. It is not my job to get people together and try to tell them to do better and try harder, to clean themselves up, to live more moral lives, to be smarter. That's not Peter's job. Jesus says to Peter, it is your job to proclaim what has been revealed to you. So we fast forward a couple pages in our New Testament. And we look in Acts chapter 2 and we see that's exactly what Peter does. Peter does not stand up to the religious elite in Jerusalem and say, you guys stink. Or, you need to get it together. You need to do better and try harder. You need to clean yourself up. You need to get smarter. You need to do more actions politically or religiously. He doesn't say that. Peter After this encounter with Jesus who says, God revealed this to you, now go proclaim and display what's been revealed, Peter stands up and does that in Acts chapter 2. Where we've been for the past couple weeks, you can read it, this great sermon, and Peter stands up and says, he's just quoting scripture, prophets, prophets, psalms, more psalms. Jesus is fulfilling all of this expectation that you have of your God to rescue you. Peter is proclaiming what has been revealed. And that's our job. It's our job as a church, as a gathered people, is to proclaim what's been revealed to us. And the effect is astonishing. Thousands are added to their number because in verse 41, they received his word. They received what was proclaimed. What was proclaimed? What God had revealed to Peter. That's what's proclaimed. Not some new, better way of living, not some new moral code, not some new hip humanitarian effort to clean up anything or do better. Now, because of that proclamation, hearts are returned to repentance. Belief is ignited in hearts because the Lord is calling people to himself because Peter is proclaiming what has been revealed and the effect of that is astonishing. Where we're going to be for the next couple of weeks is not only looking at the essence of the gospel but the effect of the gospel. It's important. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47 is not the gospel itself, it's the effect of the gospel. It's the effect of the gospel is that people are devoted to the teaching, which is in Scripture. They're devoted to the fellowship, the community. They're v- devoted to the breaking of breads and prayers, the worship. Awe came upon every soul. Signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together, had all things in common. They weren't communists, they were just generous people. That generosity is not the gospel. It's an effect of the gospel. Because they heard the good news that had been revealed and proclaimed. They received it in their hearts and they became generous people distributing belongings to proceeds as any had need. Gathering in the temple and large worship gatherings. Breaking bread in their homes in personal intimate settings. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were praising God. They had favor with all the people. Not some of them. All of them. That's a the work of God. Amen? Do you have favor with everybody? I don't. I wish I did. Praising God, having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's the Lord's doing. The Lord is gathering people because the good news was revealed and proclaimed. Who's with me? I mean, is this, it's not hard. I guess, I guess that's the point. Is I'm like, man, we have been the church, the well has been around for several years in one form or fashion. We've tried to do all kinds of stuff. We tried, tried, tried. And then like I read this this week and I'm like it's that simple. God's revealed something, we proclaim it, and the effect by the Holy Spirit is that this will happen. Huh? Why do we make it so hard? <laughs> right? I mean, God has revealed so much to us. If you are a Christian, he has ignited in your heart everything you need to know to be the church. Now, we can be practical. I mean, there's budgets, there's buildings, there's leases and insurance we have to deal with. But at the end of the day, our job, God has revealed something to us. We are to proclaim it. And the effect of that gospel proclamation by the Holy Spirit is that people are gathered together, transformed to be generous people, gathered to worship, to serve, to love, proclaiming what has been revealed. We're going to look at this for the next couple of weeks, y'all. And we see in Ephesians chapter 1, that's where we're going. Starting in September, we're going to go through the book of Ephesians for the rest of the year and into next year. But Ephesians chapter 1, we see the word church, ecclesia, called out, gathered, riot. Ephesians 1.22 says, He put all things under His feet. It's talking about God putting all things under Jesus' feet, gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And so, The work of Christ, his perfect life, his death on a cross, his victorious resurrection, his ascension to God the Father on high, sends the Holy Spirit to reveal this great news of rescue so that we can be empowered to proclaim this good news of rescue. We are gathered together to be this gathered people, not solo individuals, but a gathered people, imperfect people. That's why I just love the... It's a riot to be a church. It's really a mess but we're God's people. He brought you here. The most holy, smart, religious of you and the most wicked, gross of you. You're part of God's gathered people. And it's so fun. And God the Father gave this to Jesus to be head over all things that he gave to the church, his body. And so we see, what we'll see in the next couple weeks is the characteristics. We're going to go through 42 through 47 in Acts chapter 2 and kind of slow down and see what the characteristics of a church are, not so we can fake the funk, so that we can put some hands and feet to this good news. Because we, we read it, and we talk about it, and we proclaim it, and we sing about it, and then, now what? Well, we're going to talk about that over the next couple weeks. This is a little different day right now. Uh, just because of where we are going, <laughs> I had lunch with somebody this week who reminded me, "I'm all over the place. I'm sorry, it's been a week." We're at a different stage for this season of a church, because in a few weeks, by the end of this month, we're going to no, we only have a couple Sundays left in this building where we've been for three years. By God's grace, we are moving from this worship location to having two locations for, for two different aspects of our church life, our, the gathered community, okay? One, on 11, at 1124 Broad Street, just a block down on the other side of Broad Street, we are setting up offices and kind of a base of operations where we will have classes, where we will meet uh, for prayer. We may have some Bible studies and missional communities and classes and other things going on there. It hopefully will be a hub of operations for missions in downtown Augusta for cultural gatherings such as art shows. Looking forward to it. But also, our gathered time together in worship on Sunday mornings will be meeting at Warren Road Elementary School. Six Six and a half miles up the street, a little bit different vibe, but the church is not a building, the church is not a location, the church is not an event. The church is, is the gathered, it's an identity, the gathered people of God, the people that God has called out so that he can reveal who he is and what he's done so that we in turn can proclaim who he is and what he's done. Does that make sense? So over the next couple of weeks, as we walk this direction, there may be some clumsy steps along the way. So there's a couple things I wanted to, in light of this, just share with you. It's a little, little different turn on the sermon here, Okay. So, I mean, you're with me. You get that the church is people, that it's a riot, right? That it's based on God's revelation, Christ's work, and we're to proclaim and display it, right? We're going to revisit those themes for the next four weeks. Here, the purpose of the well, the well community church, for the past couple years, we've said our purpose is gospel, community, mission. Gospel is the good news of the person and work of Jesus. Community is the gathering of people in light of that good news. And mission is the proclamation and display of that good news. That's, that's been the purpose for years here. We've said it different ways, but that's, that's what it's been. Gospel, community, mission. I had lunch with a friend this week who doesn't go to this church. He's a former pastor, former Marine. He's scary, but also nice. And we had A hamburger together this week and we were just kind of talking back and forth I was sharing with him what was going on and he said Jeremy um, he just reminded me of everything I just said you know I'm like I'm studying this text I'm getting ready to preach this I already had my notes written and he goes let me just tell you what's been on my heart Jeremy you need to be obedient and faithful in the same direction at the same time you don't have to turn a lot change a lot market anything just just be obedient and faithful in the same direction And I had a pastor years ago say that to me. He said, that's what success is. Success is obedience plus faithfulness. And so as the well transitions to Redemption Church in a few weeks, our goal is to be obedient and faithful in the same direction. What's changed? The name, the location. That's it. But since the church is not a name, it's an identity because of the personal work of Jesus Christ that's been revealed by God, we should be good, right? Right? Since the church is a gathered people and not a building or location, well, the fact that we'll have an office a block down and a worship gathering six miles away, we should be okay, right? I think so. I think so. So, moving forward, as I've prayed about this, what does it mean to be the gathered people of God, the gathered people of Jesus, being obedient and faithful in the same direction? Gospel community mission, like we've done for years, we're doing that, we're just going to keep doing that by God's grace. I mean, until so Jesus comes back or shuts us down or, or takes us home, whatever it looks like. We're we'll gonna keep doing this until Jesus does whatever Jesus is gonna do. So I wanted to share with you, I said it's three hopes for Redemption Church, but in actuality, it's like three points with a couple subpoints. I'm gonna post this online later today, and I would love for you to look at it and pray about it for the coming weeks. Because if God doesn't do this, then what's the point? I mean, I've said it before. I'm like, you know, if God, doesn't, if God doesn't do this, forget it. Well, I'll just open a bar and we'll get a band to play and we can have hundreds of people show up. But well, we believe God's up to something and so it, it makes more sense to, to be obedient and faithful to who God's called us to be, right? Okay, so here, here it is. My three hopes for Redemption Church is that we would grow in gospel depth, that we would grow in gospel community, or sorry, community depth, and that we would grow in missional depth, right? Nothing new, gospel community mission, but we want to deepen the gospel understanding we have. We want to deepen the community that we've gathered to be, and we want to deepen the mission that we're forwarded on, right? By gospel depth, I mean this, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we would grow in gospel depth, meaning we would understand scripture better and deeper, and we would apply it to our lives personally, by gospel depth, it's my hope that we would have ongoing faith and belief in the gospel. It's my prayer that as Redemption Church moves forward, that gospel depth would be ongoing repentance. Ongoing repentance. That we would be constantly turning away from sin and idols and pride. This city has so much religious pride. Pride. god forbid we be one more gathering of religious prideful people so it is my hope my prayer that by the holy spirit we would be shaped to grow in gospel depth so that we would be a humble joyful people i don't want to fake it i just want to be it acts 2 says that they were selling their possessions they weren't just doing generous things it said they had glad and generous hearts i want that to be us not fake like, hey, we're happy people. No, I want God to wreck us with the gospel so that we would so believe in him and be so repentant that we would be so humble and joyful. That's my hope and prayer for gospel depth. Secondly, that we would grow in community depth. What I mean by that is that we would deepen existing relationships in this room that when things get hard, we wouldn't just take our ball and go home and say, so you hurt my feelings, I quit. But no, that we see that God has gathered us here. And we're different people, man. I mean, we got musicians and doctors in this room. We got folks in their 50s who have grandkids, and we got folks who are just, you know, in their 20s just looking for a girlfriend, right? We got the spectrum, It's beautiful. God's doing. It's my hope that we would deepen existing relationships, that there would be life on life application of the gospel in our missional communities, and our DNA groups, and natural forming friendships that just happen. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? There you go. There's not a, pro- there's not a, there's not a program or process for that. It's just going to happen. I'll put it to you this way. If you look through the New Testament, there's a lot of one another statements, you know what I'm talking about? It is my prayer and hope for Redemption Church that we would deepen in community as to love one another, as to fellowship with one another, as to forgive one another. So to accept one another and to serve one another, to teach one another, to be patient with one another, to pray for one another, to submit to one another, and to encourage one another. That's just a start. There's Bible verses for each one of those statements. That's my hope and prayer for gospel depth, community depth, and thirdly, for missional depth. It's a buzzword, let me unpack it for you. Missional depth that we would grow in our personal proclamation and demonstration of the gospel that we would grow in our missional community influences within our cultural context here's the beauty of what's happening with redemption church is there is an an old town mc that looks totally different than a knob hill mc which is out near greenbrier okay two beautiful expressions of gospel community that are happening in two different parts of the city It is my hope and prayer that missional depth would mean the downtown artists and musicians would thrive and serve downtown Augusta while at the same time, soccer moms will be getting saved. Right? Dude, soccer moms need the Lord. Amen? (laughs) They do. And so do downtown artists. Right? Look at what God's doing. He's gathering people from the four corners of this diverse city in which we live. Those are just two of the corners. There's two other ones. Med students, military folks, that we would grow in our influences and in the cultural context that God has placed us. Missional depth, meaning that we would make disciples of non-Christians, right? That's part of the Great Commission. Is, is to, that's, that is the Great Commission, to make disciples. That involves befriending non-Christians and walking with them as the Lord works on their heart to make them Christians. Likewise, discipleship means those who are already believers or have some foot in the faith that we would walk alongside and say, hey, let's just grow together in our faith. I told somebody last week that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sheep with a shepherd's hat. I'm a part of the flock, man. I'm part of this body. And, and I appreciate it when guys walk alongside of me. And even this past week, somebody just sat down with me over here and said, dude, I just want to let you know, I think you need to reconcile with somebody that you have a rift with. And I was like, I feel like I've done my part. I was like, yeah, maybe, but you need to forgive 70 times 7 and just go the extra mile to live at peace. Oh, okay, stop convicting me. So this week involved a couple phone calls, and oh my goodness, liberating, right? The gospel is at work. And so that we would be making disciples, both discipling non-Christians and walking with other disciples, that there would be personal partnership and discipleship and mentoring here Missional, I mean, this is broad, and you're just probably like, how is this going to happen? Well, I hope to have like some sort of timeline for you in the next couple months as God uh, orders our steps. But missional depth meaning also not only that there's those personal connections, but, but there's even broad opportunities to raise up new leaders within Redemption Church. Over the coming months, it is our hope and prayer that you will see new missional community leaders sprout up and start new missional communities. That you would maybe hear more teachers and preachers Amen? <laughs> you can say amen. That God would raise up more teachers and preachers to stand up here, but another location, but stand up at the pulpit and proclaim God's word. It's our hope and prayer that God would raise up more teachers and preachers. That God would raise up more worship leaders to uh, usher us in to worship in the Lord. And that God would raise up church planters, that we would have more opportunity to, to do uh, church planting. In our years of existence, we've helped fund church plants, we've coached church planters. We've helped develop uh, teams you know, in Savannah. We've invested in them in Savannah and, and parts of even Atlanta and North Carolina, but it's our hope and prayer that God would raise up church planters in our midst to plant. I would love for somebody to, to stand up here and just say, the Lord, I don't want you to fake it, but I want the Lord to, I want somebody to stand up and say, God has ignited a flame for me to plant a church in Murphy Village over the river. Hmm? I want somebody to stand up and say, God has ignited in me the flame, the passion to plant a church in South Augusta, to plant a church near Allen Holmes, to plant a church in Westlake. I mean, seriously, it's my hope and prayer that we would have international influence, not for the name of redemption or the Acts 29 network, but for the name of Jesus, that we could proclaim what has been revealed to folks who live in Uganda. That's it. That's, that's all I had. So I'm going to post that online. And it's my hope and prayer that we will pray through those hopes and prayers together as a church, okay? Let's pray that the Holy Spirit would move in such a way that those things would happen. I don't want to give us a to-do list and accomplish those things on our own because that's lame. I want to pray that God would so do that for his glory, for our joy, and that more people would come to know the beauty of Jesus. Because that's what the church is for. The church is gathered people, called out by God to proclaim what has been revealed. Amen? Let me pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, I thank you. God, I thank you. Just thank you. God, for your goodness to your people throughout all generations. God, for your goodness that we see throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, that you are the covenant-keeping God, that you are the loving, faithful Father who chases down your wayward children. God, that you are a loving husband who chases your wayward bride. God, that you are gathering your scattered people, loving them, forgiving them, transforming them for your own possession, to be zealous for good works. God, I thank you that the church is built on your revelation of who you are, based on the foundation, Jesus, of what you've done. Now, God, may you so transform us to be your people to proclaim and display this good news, that we would demonstrate the gospel and proclaim the gospel with our words. God, as the well becomes redemption church, Lord, I pray that we don't get lost in the logistical shuffle or confused, but God, that we would see this as a maturation of you taking us from one, uh, one stage of growth to the next. God, that this is not whimsical, this is your doing, and that, uh, God, that redemption would be a vessel for the good news to be proclaimed and displayed. God, that at the end of the day, more people would come to know Jesus, not the name of a church or uh, staff member or network but God, that the ends of the earth would come to know the name of Jesus. And what I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you do that in the best way you see fit. And then in the meantime, you would give us a humble joy, but also a bold confidence that we would be faithful and obedient in the same direction for the long haul. We ask for the glory of God, for the fame of Jesus, for the joy of your people and the advancement of the gospel. Amen.